All right, kind of interesting abrupt ending, isn't it, to that, that uh, little video there. Uh, so cool to be here today, our second to last Sunday here at uh, Lincoln Hall. And uh, Lincoln Hall has been such a great place for us over the past two years, but uh, we've outgrown the space. And uh, you'll notice that, especially in the fall when people start coming back. And uh, also just the opportunity to have more space for children and families, too, is a great opportunity over there at the Biograph Victory Gardens. So be sure and join us next two Sundays. Next Sunday, especially as we wrap up our time here at Lincoln Hall. Um, so good to see you guys today. I hope you're enjoying uh, this summer here in Chicago, the season when we all remember, yeah, this is why we live here, right? Like, this place is pretty awesome, right? <laughs> okay. Um, have you ever, let me ask you, have you ever Googled... Um, your home address, your apartment building, or your condo using the, the Google Maps Street View feature. Anybody ever done that? Give me, give me a show of hands. Okay, I, yeah, I think most of us probably have done that, right? I did a while back, and the most recent uh, picture of my apartment where we live, there's four units in our, our uh, building there, was from 2019, and that's uh, my wife Lisa and I standing in front of our house. Is that so weird? That's not, that's not really true. It's not us. I just... But it is kind of cool, isn't it? But it's also a little creepy. I mean, what are those people doing staring in our windows? Uh, anyway, um, there's even a time travel feature. Now, I didn't know this till recently. Did you know this? There's a time travel feature that allows you to kind of scroll back and look at the previous pictures that have been taken of wherever you live. And so I was able to go back to 2011, and here's what it looked like in 2011. Uh, the same couple is standing there looking in our windows. No, not really. <laughs> They're not there. You can't see them at all. But it's interesting. Now, I did discover something interesting, too, about this time travel feature, okay? And I was talking to Frank about it before the service. Uh, people are actually using the time travel feature to kind of hold on to something or someone from their past that was captured by Google's cameras, Okay. Um, a Twitter post by a woman named Sherry in the UK racked up thousands of likes when she posted this. Check this out. She said, I look at my mom's old house on Google Maps Street View, the house where I grew up. It says, image captured May 2009. She goes on to write, there's a light on in her bedroom. It's still her house. She's still alive. I am still visiting every few months. Signed, Sherry. Kind of heartwarming, isn't it? But it's also just, it's a little bit sad, too, in some ways, I think. But I think what it does is it sort of speaks to this longing that we all have for something beyond this life, doesn't it? It kind of speaks to this longing that I think we so have for something that extends beyond just this experience. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament tells us that God has planted eternity in the human heart. God has actually hardwired us. He's, he's put something in, in us, all right, that, that causes us to long for something more than the temporary nature of this life. It's in our DNA. We're hardwired that way. And so in this series, we're exploring the I am statements by Jesus, where he said, I am this, or I am that. And we're finding those in the book of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament. John was uh, one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus. And so near the end of the book, John articulates his purpose for writing his book that's also called a gospel. And he says this in John chapter 20, he says, these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you will have life in his name. And so John's purpose for writing the book of John really is our purpose for this series on these I am statements. We believe these I am statements will help us better understand who Jesus is and more fully experience life in his name. We believe these I am statements will help us better understand who Jesus is 
and more fully experience life in his name. And if you've been around here at all, sometimes you'll hear us call it the U plus life. And it's not just the you life, you by yourself, you on your own. It's you plus. It's you plus God and Jesus. You plus others, this family called the church, and you plus the world. And it's a full life that can only be experienced when we choose to follow Jesus. So I want to begin uh, setting the scene for today's I am statement, okay? So give me a nod of the head. You with me? Ready to set the scene for this? Okay, here we go. Uh, It comes in a story about three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we find the story in John chapter 11, and we're basically going to go verse by verse pretty much through this chapter. If you have a a Bible app on your smartphone, you want to follow along that way. If you happen to have a hard copy Bible, you can too. But we're going to land in John chapter 11. We're going to stay there uh, for quite a while this morning. And it begins in John chapter 11, verse 1, like this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. And they said, Lord, uh, the one you love is sick. Now, you might say that Lazarus and his sisters were part of Jesus' close friend group. And so with their brother lying on his deathbed, they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it it seems to me that it's kind of a not-so-subtle hint to Jesus. Could you come and heal your friend of this illness like we've seen you heal so many other people? And then John adds a curious detail when he says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So Jesus waits two days before setting off to the home of Mary and Martha where their brother Lazarus was sick. Now, and John just made sure that we know that Jesus loves Lazarus and his sisters, right? So, I mean, what gives? I mean, why wouldn't... Jesus, go immediately. Why, why delay? I mean, wouldn't this delay kind of cause you to question how much he really meant to them? Well, the truth is that if Jesus had left immediately, Lazarus would have still been dead upon his arrival because the journey from where Jesus was to Bethany, the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, was about 20 miles, which would be a day's journey by foot. And so if he waited two days and, you know, 20 miles, that's like, be like from here to, I don't know, like maybe Oak Brook, something like that. Imagine that. Okay, that'd be, take you about a day to walk there, right? So if he waited two days and the journey took at least another day, it's really no surprise that we read that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. But if Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, then from a human standpoint, there's really no way Jesus could have made it there before he died, unless he did like some sort of beam me up Scotty kind of thing, right? Which of course he could, but he chose not to. Uh, Lazarus, truthfully, may have already been dead or at the very least very sick and likely dead before Jesus even heard about his illness. Okay, but put on that side, okay? So even so, I mean, just think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes or or sandals or whatever it was that they wore. I mean, that delay would be hurtful, wouldn't it? I mean, think about it. Why not go right away? Because either way, he was very sick or he was dead. So why wasn't there more urgency on Jesus' part to go be with his friend and his sisters when he was so sick? or maybe even at that point dead. But it occurred to me, don't we often struggle too when Jesus doesn't show up right away, when we're going through tough stuff? I mean, I do. I mean, I can think of times when I prayed and prayed and prayed for an answer or some direction, but just never seemed to get it. 
or at least never got it as clearly or as quickly as I wanted it. I mean, there have been times when I prayed for healing for a friend or family member, and I'm just honest, it just didn't seem to happen. All right, you know, I prayed for a, re- a relationship to be reconciled, and it took decades. That's not what I wanted or asked for. But how about you? Have, you? have you ever felt heartbroken or, I mean, just honestly, maybe even a little bit angry when it seemed like Jesus just didn't come through for you in the timing that you wanted him to come through for you? And I have to believe that's what Mary and Martha were feeling at this time. And, and as hard as it is to accept, I think what we're going to find as we look at this story a little deeper is that sometimes, and I, sometimes I think that there's just a lot more going on than we could ever comprehend. Not that that makes it feel better, but I just think that's truth. And as writer James Baldwin once said, uh, the Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. And when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, the first person he encounters is Martha, who went out to meet him on the road. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, some people hear Martha blaming Jesus for not showing up on time. I I suppose that's possible. But I think she's also making a statement about her faith in him, right? When she says, if you'd been here, I mean, isn't she making it clear that she believes things could have been different had he been there, right? So even in her grief, I think Martha still believes in Jesus' power. But apparently she doesn't believe in him enough to think that he could bring her brother back to life. We'll see that she had really no thought of a resurrection. And so I kind of wonder, as I think about Martha, if she's the kind of person that seems to engage life more with her head. Are you with me? Uh, She knows who Jesus is, and and she's committed to her belief in him, right? And I don't know where you land on the kind of person you are, but if you're a Martha type, you know, you might be quite sure, right, of who Jesus is, but maybe you've lost some hope in what he can actually do. Anybody? See, I think Martha had lost some hope. And I mean, who could blame her? Her brother Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so their conversation continues. Jesus said to Martha, "Uh, your brother will rise again. And she replies, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. (laughs) I'm adding a little, you know, my own interpretation of what that sounded like. But it's hard to imagine she wasn't saying that. Oh, I know that. I believe that. See, nothing has changed Martha's ultimate hope, but she's less than confident she will see the goodness of God in the here and now. But do you ever feel that way? Man, I do. Like, you know, you believe in Jesus, you know, someday you'll be with him forever, right? But when it comes to whatever you're going through right now, that's where you wonder if he will really come through for you. In the spring of, of 2020, I've shared this with some of you in the past, I went through a really challenging time in my own life personally. And uh, I've been working pretty hard for a long time. And out of what seemed like nowhere, I just like hit a wall. And, uh, you know, tasks that in the past were like a no-brainer suddenly seemed overwhelming. 
uh, leading meetings and developing strategies, stuff that I love. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. And every day, I just felt like I was walking through quicksand. And in the past, uh, you know, I was, could like kick it into fifth gear when I needed to. And suddenly I couldn't even find fifth gear. And this was like when COVID was like really hitting us heavy. And I mean, the city was feeling super isolating. I'm sure many of you can relate to that at that time. And it was discouraging and it was scary. And even though I still loved God, believed in him, I just couldn't see how he was coming through for me. I guess I felt like Martha in some ways. And for Martha types, you know, I, I think we try to stay rational, right? Um, you know, keep your expectations low. Don't hope for too much. You know, trust in Jesus for the future, but don't expect much right now. Anybody else kind of like that, if we're honest? And see, I think Jesus looked at Martha, and what I love about this story, and I think he knew she needed a resurrection of her own. And so he connects with her in a way that worked for her. I think he connected with her up here intellectually. And so he gives her a sort of theology lesson in some ways. And that's what we read next. And it's this I am statement where Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life, he says to her. And in this powerful I am statement, I think Jesus meets Martha in her head in order to reach her heart. And he reminds her that her belief is not just for her future, but for her present. And the hope that she needs right now is actually standing right in front of her. And maybe that's what some of you need to hear today. Doesn't make it all pretty and tied up in a bow or make it easy but maybe you need that reassurance that he is your resurrection in your life and not only in the future, but right now. Well, not only does Martha have an encounter with Jesus, her sister Mary also does. We read about it like this. After she, Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and says, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, if you remember, Martha came running out to Jesus, right? Immediately. But Jesus asks for Mary because she stays home. I think that's kind of interesting. Martha came out running immediately. Mary stays home. And I just kind of wonder if Mary, you know, maybe in her despair, it was hard for her to even get out of bed that morning. It's not hard to imagine, right? Her brother just died. Maybe she just was absolutely weary, just wanting to be left alone. And maybe you've experienced that yourself. You'd have had those moments or seasons in life when it was just heartbreaking. Uh, something you experienced was just so devastating. You just, you just had to retreat. You had to pull back. You, you just didn't want to be around anybody. And so I kind of wonder if that maybe was the case with Mary here. But when Jesus calls for her, she gets up and rushes out to meet him. And John tells us when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, she echoes the words of Martha from just moments before. Same words, not the same actions though, right? Not the same response. I mean, there's a difference between Martha's response and Mary's response. And that's what I love about this story. See, Mary makes no attempt to put the game face on, right? I mean, when she sees Jesus, what does she do? She falls at his feet in despair. 
And I think Jesus looked at Mary and he immediately knew she needed something far different than what Martha needed. And so I think Mary represents the person who's a little more tender-hearted, maybe. Feels deeply, not only feels your own feels, but you feel other people's feels. Anybody feel that way? Yeah. I think Mary approached life from her heart. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you quickly feel what others feel. And often it's not only your own sadness that gets to you, it's the sadness of, of others that gets to you. And so Jesus, notice he doesn't offer Mary a theological truth like he did her sister Martha. Instead, he offers Mary what? His tears. His heart. And John records it like this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, I mean, this was a cry fest. Um, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in the shortest verse in all of Scripture, two words so powerful, Jesus wept. He wept. And I, I can't help but wonder what was it like when Mary looked up at Jesus, assuming she's still at his feet, and sees tears welling up in his eyes. I mean, think about that. And then I wonder, you know, <laughs> did Jesus in his humanity you know, try to like um, maintain his composure, you know, be the strong guy, you know, not, not show his emotions. And then did Mary pretend not to see his tears? You know, I mean, a, a grown man, especially a man of prominence, Jesus was considered a rabbi. I'm sure it was highly unusual for him to show that kind of emotion publicly, right? But what incredible comfort that must have brought to Mary to know that he not only felt what she felt, but he shed tears for what she said, shed tears for. And I hope that it's a reminder to all of us that he does the same for us. He does the same for us. The writer of Psalms reminds us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then as Jesus approaches the tomb of his friend, John tells us that once again, Jesus is deeply moved, and he asks that the stone that was placed at the entrance of the tomb be taken away, uh, but Martha, continuing to be her utilitarian self, says, uh, but by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And my favorite translation of Mary's words comes from the good old King James Version. Martha saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> that, that is great, isn't it? <laughs> That corrects me up. And after this exchange with Martha, the stone that blocked the entrance to the tomb was rolled away. Jesus looks to the heavens and in a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And this dead man stirs awake and stumbles out of the dark tomb and into the light of life. And there is great rejoicing. I mean, can you imagine the celebration? Your brother was dead and gone in the tomb for four days and now he's alive. Now, the irony is that Lazarus resurrection will lead to Jesus' death because it was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back and they realized, okay, this guy's got way too much power, way too much influence. We got to do away with him, the authorities. But that'll be tomorrow's trouble. On this day, there was great rejoicing because Lazarus, who was dead and gone, has now come back to life. But you know what? I think Martha and Mary were resurrected too. I mean, as Lazarus breathed fresh breaths, I mean, the future burst into the present. 
uh, the end of time arrived into the middle of time. And, and Jesus was no longer just their hope for the future. He was their hope for the present. Scholar N.T. Wright uh, says, Jesus has not just come, as we sometimes say or sing, from heaven to earth. It is equally true to say that he has come from God's future into the present, into the mess and muddle of the world we know. And folks, you see what Jesus said to Mary and Martha. He said to Lazarus, and he says to you, and he says to me, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, don't miss this. Resurrection is not just an idea, a concept, or a doctrine. Resurrection is a person. Resurrection is a person. It's Jesus. Now, my guess is that every one of us, like Martha and Mary, can probably smell the stench of hopelessness in some area of our life. And I know this is a little bit heavy today. And it stinks. You might even say it stinketh. <laughs> and you laugh just to keep yourself from crying, probably. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's a relationship that you would say is dead or at best on life support, and you've given it everything you've got, but it seems hopeless. Uh, it might be that for you, when it comes to your career and your life's pursuits, I mean, you had all sorts of aspirations, all sorts of dreams. You've worked hard. You feel like you've paid your dues, but right now it just feels like you're at a dead end. I don't know, for some it might be a health concern that is persisting. Maybe it's a nagging financial challenge. Maybe it's an addiction that just seems to slowly be killing you. Or I don't know, maybe, you know, if you're, you know, in the city, I think sometimes it's easy to kind of look around and just be overwhelmed by the, the division, the conflict, the violence that at times, you know, just seems to kind of be sucking the life out of our city at times. Whatever it might be, what I want you to know is that Lazarus was dead and gone. Four days in the tomb. I mean, what could be more dead than a body in a tomb for four days? And folks, if Jesus, if Jesus can raise a dead and buried Lazarus after four days in the tomb, he can breathe life into a broken relationship. He can bring new hope into your life's dreams. And he can renew in your body what seems in rack the decay. And you know what? He can actually restore our city to the dream that he had for it when he first came up with the idea of a city called Chicago. Theologian Marianne Meyer Thompson says, Lazarus represents all who are given life by the one who has and gives life. Jesus raising Lazarus to life is the climactic sign of Jesus' life-giving power. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Now, look, it, it may not look like you want it to look. It might not feel like the way you want it to feel. Um, but we've got to leave that to Jesus because he's in the business of raising dead things back to life. Um, just ask our friend Mike Verbeck. Mike uh, is an attender at one of our community locations. Here's his story. My name is Michael Verbeck. I've been attending community for eight years with my wife and family. I was uh, on my way to the gym. I was brushing my teeth and I felt sick to my stomach. And then I passed out and fell on the floor. Uh, my daughter found me and she called my wife and then they called 911 and they rushed me to the hospital. I went through numerous surgeries uh, from having coils and shunts put in my head to stabilize the condition of the aneurysm because I had totally ruptured my artery in my head. For eight months, I did not know really that I was uh, even alive. 
My wife had a lot of hope that I would recover, but the doctors kept saying, don't, don't have hope because you're gonna have to find a nursing home for him because he's never gonna get better. She prayed and she said, you know, God, um, make him better. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, he will get better in a year. He will have a full recovery in a year. If you think about it, there was no reason to have hope. And I think the only thing that they could draw hope from was God. Through this whole thing, you know, Jesus was with me every step of the way. He was with my family. The Holy Spirit was there. They were helping us. Just, uh, it's kind of hard. Um, they have to have a hard reset to realize it. The, the culmination of all of this was me coming back to life, so to speak, and really understanding more and more about what journey I was on. I looked at baptism as a way for me to say to God, um, I'm really all in, God. I mean, I, I, everything you've done for me has been amazing. So I'm all in. I don't know where we're going. Still chokes me up a little bit, but um, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where you're taking me, but wherever you're taking me, I'm going. And my baptism day was a, a really big day because my family rallied around me and they were able to really come and participate in my baptism, my wife and kids. There was a lot of weight on my shoulders before I was baptized, like everything that I've experienced, all the uh, things that I had done in my life. To me, when I hit the water and came up out of the water, they were washed away from me. God will help you. He will listen to you. He will hear your prayers and he will help you uh, with even the smallest of things. Sometimes that prayer doesn't get answered the way that you want it to because it's in God's time and we have to understand that. And sometimes it's very, very hard to understand that. Uh, I know it is from my perspective, but I'm learning that he, God has a plan for me and I am just helping execute that plan uh, and I'm trying to do the best I can do as a, you know, as a man, as a father, as a husband that I can while I'm still here. Yeah, I hope that story was an encouragement to you. Um, cause I, you know, I don't know what, uh, what feels maybe even dead in your life right now. I don't know what hard thing that you're walking through, but my prayer in this moment is that with your head and with your heart, you can hear the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. And so I just want to ask if you would, would you, would you stand up with me right where you are? And I'm going to just kind of stretch you a little bit here and, and challenge you. Um, and I just want to say that if you're in need of a resurrection today, whatever it might be, I'm not going to ask you to share that with anybody or out loud, of course, but if you're in need of a resurrection in some area of your life today, would you just with me hold your hands out? I'm holding my hands up because I'm participating in this with you. And um, just as a willingness to indicate that, yeah, I want to receive this, whatever that looks like, and I'm opening myself up to whatever that resurrection, like um, Mike said, he you know, didn't necessarily look like he thought it would look or feel like he thought it would feel, but if you're in need of resurrection, I just want to ask you to hold your hands out like this, and I'm going to pray a prayer over you uh, just now. So here we go. Uh, Father God, God, we come to you in this moment and Lord, uh, with our hands extended and our palms up and open to you, 
um, with whatever it is in our life right now that feels dead or gone or hopeless. And Father, we just bring it to you. We offer it to you. Uh, We believe in your power, Jesus. We believe in your ability to bring dead things back to life. And so, God, we put our hope in you. We trust you with however that looks, the timing, um, the reality of it. But God, we do, as your children, ask you to breathe in us fresh breaths of life, breathe in us fresh breaths of hope, breathe in us fresh breaths of resurrection. And Lord God, Jesus, thank you for meeting us where we are and being just who we need. In your name we pray, amen.